Hey, thanks for being part of the conversation. Let's do some pod crashing. Episode number 275 is with Courtney and Steven from Journalista. Good morning, Ariel. This is Cookie and Steve. Hey, I love this. I am so blessed to have the opportunity to talk to both of you because you you really do put a limelight on journalism in the way that we, we don't know it on this side of the flat screen as well as listening to it on the radio when you're doing reports. And this right here puts us in the center of your journey, Cookie. It does. But for I mean, you've lived the life. I mean, that that's the thing about it. I mean, nothing stood in your way. You faced the fire. You walked into the flames. Yeah, I started um, quite haphazardly at uh, CBS in Nicaragua. It was a party that I was approached uh, by a CBS producer to run the CBS Bureau in Nicaragua and cover all of Latin America and the Caribbean. And I had zero experience in journalism. So being uh, uh, from New Orleans, I grabbed the opportunity and ran with it. Jeez. If, if you knew how many future broadcasters I've been with, because I, I, I teach broadcasting and, and a lot of people think they're superstars now, what must it have been like for you to be able to say, yeah, I got this. I, I, I don't need to have that education. <laughs> well, it was just kind of thrust upon me. And uh, and as many times as I told everyone in the business that I did not study journalism, they just kept at it and expected me to do what I ultimately did. And it was to bring the stories to light and get them on air. Wow. Yeah. If they only, if they only knew who was in charge of the, of <laughs> journalism. Yeah, I had a friend that would say that, you know, if the world only knew whose hands the news was, was in. <laughs> Stephen, don't you think that's why her stories were so real is because she wasn't basically shaped by those that are, that are in the broadcast industry. Cause you know how they are. Do it this way, do it this way. But cookie went in there and she, you know, she was just being one of us. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think she she had a crazy background that kind of gave her a certain level of experience that you thought would mean nothing for journalism, but it was everything. She she didn't know the rules, so she didn't worry about breaking them. Yeah. She got she she just had a blast. And I think the main thing about Cookie is that she took care of those journalists that she worked with. She made they treated them. She treated them like family and she was there for him in such a big way. And I think the amount like somebody once told me that she was when she took over that office and after a couple of years of being there, that she was like a mob boss handing out favors. And she she, she was taking and money and money. She was taking care of everyone. It was really funny. Wow. And the background that Steve's referring to is obviously from New Orleans and Nicaragua. Then I was a model in New York City. Then I married a drug cartel guy. And then I just fell into the CBS uh, news bureau. And Pablo Escobar was at her wedding. Oh <laughs> he was a good friend. <laughs> they can't write a movie like this in Hollywood. Come on. I mean, it's, it, I mean right? you, you have lived the life. <laughs> right? Yeah. Which chapter do you want to cover? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I do want to cover, and that is the Iran-Contra affair. And, and I was a jock on the air that was so addicted to that story that to this day, I still have thousands of sa- sound bites that I got from AP. I've got everything. So to hear journalista the podcast all of a sudden it's like oh my god this is almost like a full circle moment it really is because at the time we as journalists in in nicaragua knew that there was funny business going on we didn't quite know what 
that funny business was. And then about eight years into my career, uh, I used to refer to it as having been manna falling from heaven when the Sandinistas shot down a CIA plane, Mm -hmm. killing everyone but one guy, Eugene Hasenfuss. And it was through Eugene Hasenfuss and the evidence that he had on him and in the plane that we found out what exactly was the funny business going on. Mm-hmm. How, how did you know what you could share and what you couldn't share? Because as a journalist, you've got to cross that line sometime. It's like, okay, if I give out too much information, somebody's life could be on the line. Well, it was never about that. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk specifics about the Iran-Contra and how that broke, uh, one of the pieces of evidence found on the plane was a business card for uh, a vice president of a Swiss bank. Oh boy. And on the back, the Sandinistas had labeled the series of numbers as a phone number. I knew it wasn't a phone number. I knew it was a Swiss bank account. The next question was, why is, are these lowly pilots and kickers, what are they doing with a Swiss bank account? And I called the, the, that VP in Switzerland. I asked him if the series of numbers could be an account. He said yes and hung up the phone. Yeah. I still didn't know what I had. So I called CBS New York. I called CBS Washington. And I let them know, look, we got something big here. I don't know what it is yet. You guys take it and run with it. Mm. And the rest is history. Stephen, you had to feel the same way when you got the opportunity to do this podcast, because, I mean, you, you, you right there in front of you is somebody who has experienced it the hard way, and she has made sure that she has stayed true to it. Yes. I will say this. When I first met her, and she told me this insane story, starting with marrying a cartel guy all the way to <laughs> Iran Contra, um, she toured with the Rolling Stones as well, so there's like a crazy life. Um but I didn't really totally believe it at first. It was it was a little bit too much. I thought you didn't believe any of it, right? And I and I used a bad word when I said that. I said it's BS. And um, but the next day she showed up. We made an appointment, and she brought what we now call the box. And in the box were all of the receipts, as they say now. Uh, it was phone. It was um, pictures and letters press and passes. press passes and newspaper articles. Um, some positive, some negative about her, all kinds of crazy things. And like even le- she had a letter from Jimmy Carter. She yeah. was having uh, she had she had like a pen pal thing going with Jimmy Carter. I mean, she knew all of these people really well enough where they were always calling her and contacting her and and, and including celebrities like Jackson Brown and Oliver Stone, Chris Christopherson, Mother Teresa, you, you name it. Buzz Aldrin, Buzz we had all of them. And the, the funny thing, Arrow, is that everyone that came to Nicaragua to research or discover the revolution were all told the same thing. You mm. must go to the Intercontinental Hotel, go to the CBS News office, and ask for Cookie. She's got it all, not only to help you uh, understand things, but also come five o'clock, cocktail hour. Yeah. And it, 
It was a big party all the time. It was a time. big party all the time. <laughs> Cookie, I got to ask you a, a deep inside question because I've because I'm a poet and because I've been on the Barnes and Noble tour for so long. The the big thing that we always talk about is that during that Sandinista War, poetry was used to get secrets out. Is that true? Because because you were there, did you see any of that going on? Um, I, I'm sure that there's truth to it. I, in fact, was very close friends to a lot of these poets. And a lot of the uh, poets, artists, and the creative types were in favor of the of, of the Sandinistas and against U.S. intervention. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't surprise me to to hear that. And there was always rumblings of you know how information was getting in and out sometimes. So uh, it's it seems very logical. Yeah. I, I can say I can add one thing to that that is in the podcast also. I found a piece written by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um, he was very enthralled with the Nicaragua situation, and uh, he wrote a great piece about that. That I I thought, oh my god, I just found a piece of writing from Gabriel Garcia Marquez. After this was when he was young, this was after he had written his biggest novels like Hundred Years of Solitude and Love in the Time of Cholera. So, yeah, I think artists were very involved in this. And, I, and one of the things about that, that era is there became this sort of thing called revolution tourism, where a lot of artists, filmmakers, poets, writers, musicians, people were showing up in Managua and, and ending up in Cookie's office. Yeah. And there's one, <laughs> there's one great story I want I want Cookie to tell you about you, too. Cookie, tell him. The yeah. Story. So one night I'm sitting at the pool by the pool and I noticed there's a group of gentlemen at another table and it took me a few minutes but then i realized it was bono and his band wow and um i sent them over some drinks and they came over to the table and i said would you guys like a tour of the city it was in the middle of the night midnight and nicaragua especially managua the capital is a points of direction their streets have no name yes and so bono was really uh uh enthralled with that idea it was like what is it why are there no names on the streets so i explained it to him and we don't know for sure but 10 months later the song came out wow see now there, that's, that's a story one of many stories oh, oh my god well what about this story that you kept the the world from a nuclear uh holocaust <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's a great one she had this is this is one of those ones that you can't there's no proof of because nobody could talk about it. Yeah. You know, but she was um, she was contacted by the State Department, basically, because there was uh, Russian MiGs being uh, shipped into Nicaragua. And they were worried this was going to create a sort of weird balance of power change. And she, they knew Cookie had connections to the government in, in um in Managua, and she negotiated. Just just finish that story, Cookie. So yeah, hard. I got a call from CBS New York. They had the State Department on the other line. To this day, I don't know how they knew, but we all know how they knew that I had these connections in the government. And I was very ill at the time. I didn't know I had uh, hepatitis, mm. and so I spent the whole night, you know, talking, being the go-between between the State Department, CBS and the Sandinista government and basically just telling them, look, guys, if you bring these uh, Russian weaponry into the country, you could be facing 
a much bigger problem than the Contra situation. Possibly invasion. Invasion mm-hmm. was was thrown thrown about the word, and um, it had this sort of uh, missiles in October vibe. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, and it took everything out of me because again I was I was ill, but uh, I thought I was going to get a great story out of this, and ultimately I couldn't talk to anyone about it. Wow. Stephen, I got to tell you something here. And this is this is a podcaster to a podcaster, journalist to a to a journalist. And that is, is that you're capturing a moment in global history by by doing this podcasting and that you're giving this to somebody 50 to 100 years from now. I mean, people are not going to believe this. But when you're talking to Cookie the way that you are and the friendship that you have, this is so important to the history. It is. And it's, it's kind of fun because, I mean, I'm a political scientist in my DNA. You know, I'm a filmmaker for, I guess that's my job, that's but his day job, my day job, but <laughs> I've always been a political scientist and I've always been fascinated, particularly by that era. And I think the eighties were such a turning point for the world yep. in so many different ways. And this story was the biggest story of the eighties. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing about, about this is that I'm getting a, a view of it. that's very personal and intimate. So it's not Front row seat. Yeah, it's not just <laughs> somebody telling a story. I mean, everybody, not everybody, but you can go look up Iran Contra and find the details of that. But what's more interesting to me is this group of journalists that are moving toward this moment in history, partying, loving, crying, chasing all these sad and terrible and wonderful stories and getting there at the end. It's the it's the inside part of it that you've never heard before. And I always tell Steve Arrow that um, we as war correspondents, we worked hard, but we partied harder because we didn't know if next day's story was going to be the end of us. Wow. Did you have to compete for those stories? Because wasn't there a movie just a couple of years ago that was released that was about how the the, the women of of journalism at war had to compete against each other for just to get any kind of time on television? Absolutely not. Was that was not the case? Wow. In my experience, I was one of the first women that was out there embedded with soldiers in Latin America. Um, it was always to my benefit. As far as rivalry with the other networks, since I didn't have a journalist journalism background, I never let that interfere with friendships and uh, facilitating my, not only my people, but other networks, which at the time were only NBC and ABC, um, helping them out, helping out print journalists, helping out photographers, um, the news services. Um, I always worked well with everyone and I never made any of my experiences, stories, be a rivalry or get in between friendships. I want to add something to that. And that is unique to Cookie, what she's saying. Um, Women in journalism in the 80s, 70s and 80s, it was tough. But for some reason, there's something strange about what happened in Nicaragua. There was this gaggle of incredibly powerful female journalists that were leading the charge in so many ways. And it, it was unique. And, and even like we work with in this in the podcast, Jane Wallace, who was a superstar at CBS at the time. And she was relegated early in the 80s to Honduras. They sent her there thinking that she was going to go just disappear, like in a place where the nothing was happening. Yeah. And she found that's where the training for the Contras was. And so she uncovered that. That led to finding. And she found me. And she found Cookie. And these women, there's a whole bunch of them, 
that seem to be leading the charge in Nicaragua. And in fact, all three bureaus of the news and CBS, and CBS, NBC, ABC in Nicaragua were led by women. It was very unusual. Mm-hmm. So Cookie never looked at it like that because her normal was she's in charge, she's taken off, she's rolling. She I'm the boss. She doesn't care what men think. But in, I think in the world of journalism, this is very unique. And I, I think that this group of women was, were so freaking impressive. Yeah, yeah. You know, right place, right time. We called ourselves the dream team. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. As a creative person to another creative person, are you addicted to creativity? And that's, is that the reason why you kept saying yes to everything? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I, I have to say that... I. Making this podcast, I've been working on it for a long time, and it, it is such a personal, intimate experience. And Cookie and I have become so close. We're like, she calls me her, her work husband. And we have to be careful because we are on top of each other's sentences, just like a husband and wife all the time. Yeah, Steve and I finish each other's sentences. And uh, amazingly, Arrow, we still love each other. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not mad at her yet. After 13 years. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, that there's there's a line that you guys use that really it has opened up my heart. Cover the story, don't be the story. My God, that I think every journalist should know that. Uh, that was advice that Mike Wallace gave me early wow. on in my career because uh, as a good journalist, I adored working with the big boys at 60 Minutes. It was a whole different ball game. And they took to me and, and, and simply loved me uh, and trained me. And that was one of Mike's earliest pieces of advice. Unfortunately, she did become the story on a number of occasions. <laughs> exactly. I expect that, though. <laughs> but it was understandable. But Mike told her, you know, Cookie, you should be the story. Yeah, and of course, you know, Mike, he became the story many a time as well. <laughs> what what put you in Central America? What was it that you felt like? Was it a calling? What was it that you heard in your heart? Well, um, I'm half from New Orleans and half from Nicaragua. Oh. So my whole life... I've been living in both countries. I was educated in both countries. Um, I lived, partied, did everything in both countries. So I was already familiar with Nicaragua. And the main reason, one of the main reasons I was approached for the job is because I could speak both languages fluently. I knew both cultures in and out. And my contacts on every level, on every side, was just, it was just amazing. She could get to anybody. Wow, wow. What have you learned from all of this, both of you? Because, I mean, this right here, I mean, for, for Stephen, for you to get so close to Cookie and then Cookie for you to live it, there's got to be one common thing that you've both learned from this. Well, I think the thing that I've taken from it the most for me is I am in love with the camaraderie and the intimacy between these this group of people that were running toward this huge story. And there is a unique bond like to this. And they have they come from all over the world, different political, you know, spec uh, spectrum, uh, everything. But they are a band of brothers. These people love each other to this day. It's like they were in a platoon together in Vietnam or something. They live they have the shared experience and they would never betray each other in any level. And that blows me away. And I never quite understood that part of this camaraderie. And I think Cookie can even go farther with that. Yeah, Uh, we all know that we were a band of brothers then, now, and forever, and we'll always be there for each other. What I took away from this project, it was difficult for me 
the project, it, it was more difficult than covering war because after the war, obviously suffering PTSD, mm-hmm. uh, I had buried all of my feelings, memories, and Steve brilliantly has brought them all back to the forefront. Difficult at first, it, my PTSD resurfaced, mm. but ultimately it became a very cathartic experience. It was cheaper than therapy. <laughs> and I have just grown to understand certain things that maybe I didn't understand back then because I was partying so much and I'm clean and sober now. So there's that. Wow. You guys have got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. We'd love to, Arrow. Thanks for having us this morning. Yeah, thank you so much. You be brilliant today, okay, you two? Thank you. Awesome.